Welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics we love to nerd out on. Today, I'm joined by Jared Corton, who oversees packaged food research, and we're going to talk about what is probably my favorite pastime, and if I'm being honest, my greatest skill in life, snacking. Jared, welcome to the show. I really cannot convey how passionate I am about snacking and how excited I am to talk with you today. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, I think this is a topic that many people are passionate about, um, either oh, just yeah. eating snacks or learning about snacks. So it's, it's definitely a fun industry to study. Mostly eating them. If, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, the first thing I want to ask is, how do you actually study the packaged food industry? And, you know, I'm sure people imagine that you're sitting in a lab and like sampling things or there's weird conveyor belts like on I Love Lucy, but what what really happens? Yeah, so my job is really to understand and, and analyze this market really in its whole and then helping to uh, helping companies in the space grow their portfolio and innovate. Uh, and that really involves understanding all of the market. So we're looking at the consumer, getting down to not only their specific, you know, snacking preferences, you know, what types of flavors they like, uh, what types of products they like to eat. Uh, but it also is more broad, you know, looking at how consumers are living or shopping or commuting um, and how that plays into their specific snack preferences. Uh, we also look at, you know, understanding the supply side. So what sort of issues do companies deal with? Things like, you know, supply chain costs to transportation costs, even to the retailing environment and how consumers are shopping and buying. And we do this through uh, our, our network of in-country analysts. So we have people in, in more than 100 markets who are feeding up all these fascinating on-the-ground insights, you know, the craziest flavors, the new products, the innovations coming from that, as well as just working with the industry talking to people, reading, and just trying to understand this very complex uh, and innovative market, and then uh, using that to to help uh, clients in, in the space. All right. You didn't mention firsthand experience. <laughs> do you do a little bit of the, the sampling on your own? Yeah, this is uh, definitely one of the sort of side perks of, of the role. <laughs> uh, we do go to a lot of industry conferences. We do a lot of presentations, uh, you know, meeting people at these events. And there's always an overwhelming uh, range of samples that you can try. Nice. Uh, and so anytime I go to a snacks event it's uh, I always plan to sort of skip lunch that day because I've always by the end of the day I've sort of consumed my weight in potato chips and candy and and that sort of thing so that's I, the dream I, I usually need to go on a you know on a, on a small diet after these events <laughs> but uh yeah it's definitely one of the, the side perks is getting to try all these unique products so yeah let's talk about these unique products I mean the first thing that comes to mind for me is how snacks taste so What's going on with flavor? What new things are you seeing? What trends are growing? What's going yeah. on? Yeah, so there's a lot of innovation. Flavor is probably one of the major or maybe the primary areas of innovation when it comes to snacks. Um, and when it comes to flavors at the moment, sort of spicy is in and spicy is king, especially with younger consumers. Much like my personality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're seeing, you know, companies take this more and more to the extreme with spicier and spicier flavors. And it seems like those younger, those millennial, those Gen Z uh, customers just can't get enough. Um, there's a company called uh, Pocky, which made a Carolina Reaper chip. It was a single, wow. it was a single chip. And it was sold in a coffin package. Stop. Yeah. One chip all by itself. It's called the One Chip Challenge. And uh, it sold out in a matter of minutes once they once they released the product. Um, and apparently, I, I did not sample that one. Uh, but apparently, it was insanely spicy. 
Um, we see things like in, in China, Oreo just launched hot uh, chicken wing and uh, wasabi chip flavored Oreo chips. Interesting. Is that like the Chinese version of chicken and waffles? Or... <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to sample that one either. But um, yeah, it's all about that sort of spicy Oreo, which is really kind of unique. Um, and so, yeah, spicy is really in. And, uh, but even beyond that, complexity is continuing to, to take more of a role, um, combining things like sweet and salty or sweet and savory, things like snack mixes, mashups where you, you know, take two or three different flavors and stick them together in a single package. So you yes. get this unique sort of complex uh, flavor mashup. Um, and even getting beyond flavor, getting into things like texture or mouthfeel, complexity is really big there as well. Uh, we're seeing things where manufacturers are integrating um, cookies within chocolate. So you have okay. things like Hershey's Cookie Layer Crunch, um, Milka Oreo. Uh, in Brazil, we have products like uh, Lacta Specialist Oreo or Beast Oreo. Um, it's essentially this concept where you have sort of the creamy chocolate with sort of the crunchy mouthfeel of the the cookies within that product. Um M&M's just launched M&M's Caramel. They called it the biggest launch in their history. Oh, I'm aware. Last year. And yeah. they are delicious. <laughs> I a, wasn't joking. Yeah, I you like them? You like those? Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's that same idea. You know, it's you get the sort of the crispy, crunchy M&M shell with sort of the chewy, creamy caramel inside. And so, yeah, consumers are looking for complexity, something that's different, something that's unique. Um, we're seeing that a lot with, with ingredients and innovation. So, I mean, I'm all for combining textures and enhancing chocolate as much as possible um, <laughs> yeah. if, if it hasn't been made clear yet. But I also, you know, I keep up with the news. There's a lot of documentaries, a lot of articles, maybe looking at our health, encouraging people to consume less sugar. You know, obesity and other diseases are very much, you know, on on the forefront and in the news. So as people are becoming more health conscious, how is that impacting snacking trends? Yeah, it's been a really interesting world as, as you see people becoming increasingly health conscious, but also still wanting to snack. There's sort of that that dynamic. Yeah, I don't want to give it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, there's that de definitely going on there. Um, we've really seen this play out when it comes to sugar. Sugar has sort of emerged as uh, public enemy number one, so to speak, when it comes to snacking. Consumers no. are, are very concerned with processed sugars and, and things like diabetes and, and trying to um, improve their health by by cutting sugar. Uh, you've seen, the, like you said, a lot of negative press. Um, you've seen sugar linked from everything from you know Alzheimer's disease and, and cancer and that sort of thing. And so consumers are really trying to to change their their behaviors and their habits. Um, we've seen this play out in sort of the the public policy arena. We're seeing new nutrition fact labels that are coming and really emphasizing how much added sugar you're getting in your diet. We've seen um, bans, outright uh, bans within uh, countries in Latin America, like Ecuador and other other oh, markets wow. where you can't sell sugary snacks or drinks within so many feet of a, of a school. Um, taxes. It's almost like cigarettes. Yeah. 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 In, many, in many cases, it's like that. Um, We've seen added uh, taxes, especially in sugary soft drinks. Um, municipalities in the U.S. have done this. We've seen this really across, you know, Mexico and other markets in Latin America. Um, the U.K. is uh, looking into uh, a, a ban of candy at the checkout. They have now a tax just recently implemented on sugary beverages. Um, even Saudi Arabia going, you know, to the Middle East. So is, it's is, everywhere. Yeah, this is really a global movement, uh, and so we're we're seeing this sort of pushback really against sugar in particular. Um, this has caused you know consumers to start looking 
other places to get that yeah, sort of snack Yeah, what do they snack fix. on now? Yeah, looking at, at savory snacks, getting sort of that salty kick. Um, if we are looking for that sweet indulgence, looking at things like snack bars or, or trail mixes or fruit snacks that give you that sweet sort of uh, indulgence, but also have that better for you yeah. image and positioning. I think RX bar is what comes to mind for me yeah. that they don't really have any sort of decorative labeling. They just list what is, or more importantly, what's not, you know, in their, exactly. their bars right on the label, which exactly. I think is really interesting. Yeah. And it's really gone from uh, sort of the, the mantra is you used to count in uh, calories, right? You didn't want to have this bar because there was this many calories, but it's sort of now shifted to this concept of counting ingredients. Consumers want very short, simple ingredient mm-hmm. lists, and they want to know what every single ingredient is on that package. If I don't understand or recognize that ingredient, then I don't want to put that in my body. Um, and we're seeing this, especially with with children. Uh, we're seeing, you know, parents wanting to give their kids um, products that are not only all natural, but, you know, increasingly organic certified and other um, uh, value added or, or health and wellness positioned products that, that can be uh, sort of fill that snacking need for children. Huh. So you mentioned protein bars and, yeah. and I mean, are snacks taking over as meals because I feel like the other hot trend I always read about is small snacks throughout the day instead of three large meals. Is that impacting the snacking world as much as it is the women's magazines? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's as much as sort of sugar has been down. um, We've definitely seen other elements of snacks that have sort of moved in as this sort of meal replacement, like you mentioned, Um, looking at things like protein and fiber, which Mm -hmm. have really become, um, you know, the hot areas of innovation across all of snacks. Um, The bars have really been the first mover, you know, protein bars have been around for a while, but you've seen, you know, brands like Kind and RX Bar come into the space and really shake it up. Um, And we're seeing protein move into other areas too. So we have uh, protein cookies now coming out. So you, you, know, you have your Belvita proteins. Larry and Lenny's is a brand that's been very popular with its its complete cookie. Um, other brands like Quest that now do protein cookies. And this is you know meant to give you that that high protein, that high fiber um, content that boosts to to get you through lunch or whatever meal you're sort of skipping and get you on there with with that complete nutrition. Um, and so yeah, as much as sugar has been down, it's been a push towards protein, a push towards fiber. Um, also, portability has become uh, really central to snacking. Um, If you're snacking on the go, Uh um, especially at breakfast, you know, younger consumers don't want to sit down and spend 10 minutes in the morning pouring and eating a bowl of cereal. They just want to sleep as late as they can and then get get out the door at the very last second. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. You know, that's why snack bars have seen a lot of growth. Things like drinkable yogurts um, where, you know, it's it's hard to snack on on a traditional yogurt in the car. So you can just grab a drinkable yogurt smoothie and have that on your commute. We're seeing products that are not traditionally seen as very portable, innovating with packaging to become more portable. Like, like we have like a little cup of hummus that has a pretzel container on top. Oh, I know those. So, yeah, yeah. Or, or guacamole or even, you know, nut butters and other products that have become more portable. You have like the little container of nut butter with some some dipping sticks that you can sort of dip and eat on the go. Um, it's been really about convenience and, and portability and uh, reaching the consumer so they can sort of snack as they're going about their, their busy days and, and their daily routines. And is this kind of nationwide or worldwide or maybe concentrated in larger cities where maybe people are on the go more? 
Yeah, I think cities also provide sort of unique challenges. You look at things like public transportation. If you're sitting on a train, it's significantly harder to eat a bowl of cereal um, <laughs> or, or something. Uh, Kellogg just launched a product called Joy Bowl Smoothies, which is this really interesting concept. It's got like a built-in spoon. It's this little container that has a variety of ingredients. You just sort of pour a little bit of water in there and mix it up. And it's sort of this this uh, smoothie parfait that you can eat, you know, on the train on your on your way to work. So, yeah, I think it's it's probably, you know, worldwide as a trend, but you might see it like different um, a little bit by you know larger cities versus you know, rural areas. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if we'd consider this a snacking trend, but I also feel like I see a lot more food options being introduced at places like a Starbucks mm. or a coffee shop. So if you're going to stop there, they're sort yeah. of capitalizing on that precious stop in moment. Totally. And a lot of these sort of healthier snacks have used these uh, like Starbucks and other sort of high end coffee shops as sort of an incubator. A brand oh. like Kind, you know, actually got a big boost in, it, in its early days from selling at in Starbucks. So you're there getting your latte, but you also want something, you know, a little bit salty and sweet to go with that. So you can grab a nice looking Kind bar there. You never know. 330 store. rolls around and you you need a little something. something exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's really been, you know, a, a great place for those uh, health snacks to sort of get started and get recognized and get that that. Um, sort of brand equity with consumers. Yeah. So I feel like now I have a pretty good understanding of what people are eating, what it tastes like, they're eating it on the go, and you know how people are eating. Where are they shopping is my next big question. Mm -hmm. I feel like on previous episodes of this very show, we've talked a lot about e-commerce. We can't ignore you know online shopping. And I know you just mentioned um, a ban in the UK on buying candy at the register. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, like yeah. how are they impacting snacking? It's one of the big questions I think that many companies in the industry are sort of dealing with at the moment. Um, the big question comes in that a lot of these snack purchases are unplanned, right? You go to the store. I wasn't. Yeah, don't I know it? Yeah, I was. I was. I wasn't planning. <laughs> I go in to with buy a that. list of vegetables <laughs> and I leave with three candy bars. How did that pack of Oreos end up in my cart? Right. That's Ghosts. the. <laughs> That's the big question. And so the problem with, with e-commerce in many respects is that consumers aren't necessarily going to the store as often. Um, you know, if you're getting your, your groceries shipped to your house, that saves you, you know, a trip to the grocery store. And when people shop online, it tends to be sort of list driven. You know, I need this, this and this to make dinner next, you know, tomorrow right. night. Um, and so you don't really have that moment to sit. Oh, look at that new flavor of candy bar or Oreo that, that I should I should grab off the shelf. Um and so, yeah, there's there's companies, you know, like the Instacarts and the Shipped, which will go and do the shopping for you, being a much more sort of list driven. Um, you have uh, Click and Collect, where you you buy your groceries online and then go in, and they have they drop them in your trunk when you get to the store. So again, you're not going and standing in the checkout, you're not walking through yeah. the aisles. Um, and so that presents a lot of challenges for this unplanned snack occasion. Has you there been a big decline? I think at this point, I mean, it's there have been ways that companies have innovated to, to get around that. Okay. Um, but it's even, I guess, it's even bigger than online shopping in, in many regards. When you look at um, innovations like the Amazon Go Store, you know, that they're opening in Seattle, or you know, Microsoft now is working on new sort of checkout free technologies. Um, we've seen it in in China in a big way. Things like facial recognition, Amazon Go type stores that we see. Uh, we've seen it in the Netherlands. Uh, retailers like Albert Hain are, are debuting this checkout free concept. Um, um, and so then even when you are in the store, uh -huh. you know, you're not standing at a checkout line because you walk in the store, you grab your items and then you walk out. And so there's not that 
five minutes of standing there surrounded by all sorts of wonderful snacks on all sides. And so, yeah, that's but been... there's also no judgmental look for <laughs> taking the three candy bars. So maybe people... There you go. There you go. They can be unhealthy because no one else will see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think the, the declines have sort of uh, come yet. And I think it's just sort of a, something that companies are thinking about sort of in the future as millennials you know, become sort of the primary shoppers for, for households and that younger generation. Just making sure that they're on top of this trend because it seems like it's just changing the way people shop. So what can companies do then to, yeah. to stay ahead of this and not let it become a problem? Yeah, there's a variety of things. One is uh, just to think about sort of shelf space differently. Um, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money over the last decades learning about shelf space and planograms and end caps and, and special displays and how to get consumers to to get their attention when they're in the store. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I could shop, you know, in that same store, that same, say, Walmart or that same grocery store. But if I'm using the click and collect and buying it online, I never even see that shelf. That never enters my consciousness. I'm doing everything through an online platform, whether it's a website or an app. Um, and so how your brand or product appears online is increasingly important and sometimes even more important than how it shows up in the store. It's almost like being in the, the top three for Google. Exactly. Like if you're not there, who's going to click on you? Exactly. You're, if you're on page six, you're essentially invisible. That's where I hide all my secrets. Page <laughs> six of Google. <laughs> I mean, and that's that's the big question, right? How do you how do you make sure that you stay top of mind in an increasingly online world? Um, we're seeing things like the rise of subscription based ordering, things like meal kits, mm -hmm. um, people doing like subscribe and save type programs through Amazon, where you know your, your orders just automatically ship to you on a monthly basis. So that consumer, once you have them, they sort of stay in that that that's that system. They save a little bit of money. They get a lot of convenience. Um, subscription snack boxes are kind of a trendy thing right now, Ooh. where each month you get sent like this curated uh, selection of unique and sort of novel snacks and you don't know what it is until you open it. Um, but there are some that focus on unique global snacks. There's some that focus on Japanese snacks, which in particular are very innovative and unique. And um, sort of in the in the age of Instagram and food sharing, um, if I open my subscription box and I have a, a unique snack product that none of my friends have tried mm -hmm. and I can you know snap a picture and share it, I instantly gain a lot of, you know, sort of credibility and, and sort of make myself stand out All online. about the likes. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's that's really an interesting model where I think um, people are looking at that unique sort of novel product selection they can get with with curated boxes. There's a lot of other ways to think about it too. You know, even though people aren't going to stores as frequently, you know, they're still taking Ubers. So there's this this new uh, model called Cargo where you have essentially a little mini snack shop in the I've back of your seen Uber. That. Yeah. 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 How does it work exactly? I was not tempted enough to buy anything. I just saw an assortment of candy bars. Yeah, it's all through your smartphone. So you can scan this little QR code on the box, which is in between the, the two front seats of your Uber. Then you go online, you select uh, whatever product you want to buy, you order it, and then you just take it out of your of your in-car Uber. Some companies huh. even offer free products for you know new things and promotional items. Um same with uh, Honor Tab, which is sort of a a mini bar for Airbnbs. Oh. So you know, hotels have had mini bars for a long time. It's been a you know nice source of revenue. Obviously, you pay a lot, but you really want that snack. And so they thought, well, people are more more and more staying in these these Airbnbs. So can we have that concept and bring it to that model? And so the host will stock their pantry with all sorts of products, and then you can go on the website pay for your host for whatever you're going to eat and then you can sort of enjoy your in airbnb minibar um 
So thinking about models like that, you know, airports, train stations, people are still traveling and flying. We've seen a little resurgence in vending. You know, people who are busy commuters going through a subway station. It's just uh, wow. with you know things like Apple Pay or, or Google Pay or Samsung Pay, where you just scan, grab a snack, and sort of as part of that routine, you can get it on the go. Um, and so it's about reaching consumers with where they're going. So if they're buying more online, maybe try to reach them more in some of these other locations. I mean, I guess, too, going back to our Starbucks example, it's, yeah. you know, going where the people are. Exactly. Yep, that's cool. a great example. So before we wrap, I like to ask everyone, what is the weirdest thing you've ever researched? And I feel like between flavors and international <laughs> snacks, like we might have to do your top three or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing you learn is that the way people snack is really much more like unique and different than you originally anticipate. Like we tend in the West, we tend to think about snacking as, you know, potato chips and candy bars. And that's sort of our go to snack. Mm -hmm. um, but traditionally, you know, other markets around the world have been um, trying very unique sort of local snacks for a long time. Uh, you know, meat snacks are one example in particular, which have uh, been gaining more prominence recently with, you know, being high protein, being relatively natural. And delicious. And delicious. So, you know, <laughs> jerkies and meat sticks have seen a lot of growth, you know, really rapid growth in, in the West. But, you know, if you go out to to markets like, you know, China, they've been eating very unique dried, you know, meat snacks for, for a very long time. Uh, I think in Japan once I saw there's these little mini salted dried crabs. They're literally actually just dried crabs Whoa. that are salted and you just eat them with beer or whatever. Were they good? I, I haven't tried them. Oh. I, I, I see snacks that are strange, but I can't always bring myself to try them. I will be honest there. Um, there are, I know in Russia, we've seen uh, you know dried uh, salted fish sticks. Um, or essentially, it's literally just salt and fish in this little, you know, stick format. That um, is unique. Yeah, dried insects in in markets in Southeast Asia. You know, little dried scorpions and those sorts of things. I didn't um, have scorpions, but I did have like roasted crickets. Yeah, at a that's, street market. That's really trendy. And even now in other markets, crickets maybe not as a whole cricket, but as an ingredient. You know, cricket powders for added protein. Really? Yeah, it's sort of a fringe movement, but it is gaining some some steam. So who knows? Maybe we'll all be eating you know cricket based snacks. In, in 15 years. And I can say I was ahead of the curve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, even things like, you know, uh, fermented cubes of, of dried shark meat in some markets in like the Nordic countries in Iceland that it's just it's what? just different. And so that 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 idea that everyone eats potato chips and candy bars for snacks, um, if you go to other markets and look at how they've traditionally snacked, um, you can see some really unique products that sort of kind of blow my mind a bit from my sort of Western centric viewpoint. Um, was there ever like a really weird question or task at hand that a company or a challenge that a company asked you to solve around snacking or like a really niche, weird market you had to go after? Yeah. One of the big questions that a lot of people are, are looking at these days is snacking times. People want to know exactly sort of when people are snacking and, and they want to divide the 24 hour day into 15 different occasions they call them or, or these snack periods um and so that's always really really challenging there's 15 occasions some companies have gone as much as 15 so there's like See, this... i thought i was bad with like five yeah but... <laughs> exactly and they're, and they're really you know finely segmented occasions and so that's always a challenge because everybody snacks differently and so trying to segment you know how many actual snack 
occasions are there in the day? What products best fit into those 15 different buckets? Are they time-based or situation-based, like birthday cake or... More time-based. So it's like like early morning, you know, coffee break. I'm home from work and I'm tired and I want to pick me up kind of snack. It's I'm going to bed. I had dinner four hours ago and I'm really starting to get hungry again. <laughs> they often have these really kind of funny all names of the above. too. No, yeah. Send them my way. I'll try all the snacks. So. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's kind of challenging, but it's also fun just to see just the diversity and how and when consumers snack. Um, because, you know, most consumers don't fit into all of those buckets. You know, I'd say I am maybe um, you know, a mid-morning snacker and then maybe a late afternoon snacker. Um, but I know people who are late night snackers and early morning snackers. And so I feel it, like there's a personality test here. Like, what does your snacking time say about you? Yeah. If you're no. like, I'm a mid-morning. What is your snack yeah. profile? I think we each have our own snack profile. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, an interesting area to study for that reason. And and that's why it's so innovative with so many different unique types of products. Everyone has you know, different snack tastes. They certainly do. I'm really, I kind of want to look into this cubed shark meat snack. <laughs> I don't know if I want to try it, but I want to yeah. see it for myself. Wow, Jared, thank you so much for joining me today. I just got really hungry and really curious about all sorts of snacks. Um, all this talk about food definitely leaves me wanting to try some. It's my challenge every day. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you for tuning into this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you're as curious as we are and will continue to listen as we dissect data, research, and everything in between, like potato chips. Hi, it's Jared Corton. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, I'll be presenting at Snackspo um, in Orlando, Florida. It's March 31st through April 2nd of 2019. We'll be diving more into these snack trends and, and talking about the latest developments in the industry.